Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. This reading is from John 5, verses 1 through 9. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, an Aramaic, called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had been laying there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going in, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are now dismissed, and the rest of you may be seated. My name is Daniel Long. I'm pastor here at Grace. Um, well, first I do want to say thank you. Just I felt like the last few weeks we've had a few different speakers, um, Steve Gross, Eric Balmer, Steve Porter, and I've just felt so grateful for all of you and for your voices. I felt very pastored, um, and that's really, it's a real gift as a pastor to feel that, so I'm really grateful. But as, as I was thinking about kind of preparing for this week, and as I was beginning, um, I was just, this week, I was just been really sad. Um, and I think it's made it really hard, I think, to prepare. And if you don't know who I am, besides my name, I, I'm a crier. Um, and, um, and I also make jokes about my crying so that there's some levity, so I can actually kind of pull myself back together a little bit. But I, I, I was thinking about, about this week in, in reference to this loss. I mean, certainly last week was Diane Stringham's death, and then um, this week Dave Rose's death, and, and being with Paul and Jean and the family. And then I was just thinking, like, man, the last probably, what, 15, 16 months as a community, we've just suffered a lot of loss in a lot of different ways. From, and, and, and still, I mean, people suffering from illness and um, struggling with cancer, pe- people dying of cancer, people dying of ALS, people dying in, in car accidents. Uh, there's just this community, for whatever reason, uh, I, I don't understand it. I just feel like we've been suffering together. Uh, and I was meeting with a, a young guy who no longer goes to this church a week, two Tuesdays ago. And he's like, Daniel, I don't understand. Like, I'm having a real struggle with my faith. I don't know what to do with, with suffering. Uh, and, and I don't really have a lot of answers, actually, for that. And I feel like people who do, I don't listen to them. Because I, like, I don't know how you can offer necessarily an answer for suffering um, beyond being present with someone who is suffering. Uh, but we were talking about that, and it was in our conversation, you know, one of the things that came to mind was like, just as much as I don't know what to do with the hard things in life, with the suffering and the tragedy, and where I, need, where I locate that, even theologically, I also don't know what to do with the good of life, 
or the good in the midst of suffering. One of the things that, that Dana Stump said to me um, earlier this week, because we were together at the Roses at one point, she's like, man, these are the things that bring you to your knees. Uh, and I said, yeah, that's right. And talking with Paul and Jean and, and, and others of the last week and Ed Stringham, they just can't stop talking about how they've seen the presence of God um, in all of this. And I don't know what to do with that beyond thanks be to God. Uh, I don't know, I, I couldn't imagine a faith where I didn't have a God where I, I could lament and say, I don't understand, nor could I imagine a faith where I didn't have a God where I could say, thank you. Um, and both of those are true. And, and, and I was thinking about our suffering as a community. And then here we have a text in John 5 where a man has been suffering for 38 years with no hope of getting better until this one question is addressed to him. Do you want to be healed? And I wonder if that's a question that God asks us, has been asking us even now. So with that question in mind, would you please pray with me as we get into this morning's text? How long, O Lord, and yet God, thank you. You are with us, even in our lack of understanding, our lack of even being able to know what to do with the things in this world that seem so broken. And yet, thank you that you are a God who brings order out of chaos. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your willingness to receive our honesty and our prayers. Lord God, I think you have a word for us, or maybe even more importantly, you have a question for us. I pray that you would help us to be people this morning who take seriously the question that you're asking. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you want to turn in your, into your Bibles at page 890, we're going to go through the text a little bit. John 5. We're in the middle of a series called Seven Psalms, Seven Signs, with the idea of, of alternating week to week between a psalm and then one of the seven signs of John. And the kind of the overarching idea or theme is, is this idea that the psalms kind of show us what it looks like to engage with God. Whereas the signs kind of reveal to us what it looks like for God to engage with us. And so as we look at the sign this morning, we're going to see God engaging through the person of Jesus, his world, his creation. Because a sign in the gospel is a manifestation of God's work in the world. That God, through Jesus, is making himself known, and that people are then left to respond with what they see and with what they encounter. And that's no different this morning. So two weeks ago, Eric Balmer spoke on the second sign, the sign where Jesus heals an official son. And he kind of offered this narrative structure of the first two signs, 
that we see the sign of Jesus turning water into wine and Jesus healing the official's son. And it goes something like this, that, that a person requests of Jesus help. Jesus kind of then rebuffs. And then there's a delayed response in Jesus actually doing what was initially requested. What's really fascinating about this morning's text is it does not follow that pattern. Or perhaps it does, but the roles are a little bit reversed. Because if you were to turn in John 5 and you see that now there's this feast of the Jews, perhaps a feast of the Sabbath or something else. There's in this Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called the Pool of Bethesda or the Pool of Bethsana. Um, can be known as like the House of Mercy is what might, might be translated to. And it has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who'd been there for 38 years, and he couldn't walk, and he wanted to get into a pool, and he couldn't. And Jesus saw him lying there, verse 6, and knew that he had already been there a long time, and he said to him, do you want to be healed? So you see, it's interesting. So here's a man who, who, who comes into, or here's a man who's been going to the same place for 38 years, and Jesus is the one who offers a request. And the man doesn't necessarily offer a rebuff, but he doesn't, necessarily, he doesn't offer an answer to the question. He says this, Well, the sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, and while I'm going another, when I'm going down, another steps down before me. So here's a man who Jesus offers a request. Do you want to be healed? This man offers kind of some sort of vague response, what's going on there. And then we see at the end of the text that Jesus then does end up healing the man. So why are these differences important? Because I was actually having a hard time. I was like, after Eric, it's like, awesome, okay, there's a cool pattern. Then I'm reading this, and I'm like, oh no. Um, okay, I don't know what to do with that. But one of the thing I, one thing I think it does is it forces me as a reader, to consider both the differences, why is it different, but then also the characters that are involved. And we have two main characters. There's actually three, but there are two main characters in this text, right? The person of Jesus, and you have this man who's been paralyzed. And so how can we look at these two different characters, and how might that be something we should take account of or consider in more specific fashion. Here's what I mean. So if we were going to look at the characters, we see Jesus. We see Jesus in this text, which is different from the other signs, in that Jesus is the one who initiates. Jesus is the one, and the text is very clear, says this in verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, we're called to take some consideration of the character of God as seen through the person of Jesus, as somebody, as a God, who sees and knows. I can't help but think of the Exodus. When, Jesus, when God heard the cries of his people, saw them, and then went to act. That Jesus reveals a God who sees and knows this man who has been doing this thing, the same thing, for 38 years so that he can be healed. Jesus isn't somebody in this text like he was in the others who's, who's kind of reacting. No, it's almost like this God who is searching. 
of where he can give life. That's an amazing picture of God. I love the picture of God that's shown in the first two signs of a God. I can go and say, God, I need life. We are out of wine. Give us wine so that we can experience life. The official saying, my son is dying. And Jesus responding. But there's, God is also one who looks to see where he can give life. That God is a God who sees and knows. And that, I think, is a beautiful part of this text. But then we also have the character of the invalid, the person who's lame. And I really like this character. He's really fascinating to me. Because one of the things that, that happens when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Again, we are, I already suggested he doesn't say yes or no, but what's it, what does he do? He tells a story. Let's look at that story again. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? The sick man answers him and says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. This lame man tells the story of, uh, uh, to Jesus. It's almost like a yes, but my way of being healed isn't possible. I'm trying to get down to the pool when the water is stirred up, which is if to suggest there's these, some healing properties in this pool, possibly, that they thought when the water was stirred up and if they just went in, then all of their infirmities, all the ways that they're broken, they'd be healed. He tells this story. And it's an amazing, I think, part of the text that Jesus' question to the man allows the man to tell his story. That Jesus, in this character, in the character of God, one who is empathetic, allows this man to be drawn out and to share the story of his life for the last 38 years. A story of his life that's, that's been constantly thwarted. The possibility of, of well-being is out of his reach. And not just out of his reach, but people actually get in the way of it. And it's here I wonder if the healing process has actually already begun. Because isn't there something so healing to be able to tell your own story of what life has been like for you? And that Jesus, through this penetrating question of do you want to be healed, opens up the possibility for this man to be known in a way he hasn't been known before. Do you know what it's like to live with a story about yourself, about your life, that you've never been able to tell? A story that you've lived with for so long that you you just think nobody could ever understand it. I wonder if you've lived with that type of story and you've had the opportunity when somebody asks you a good question that allows you to tell honestly and completely the story you've lived with. And though the story hasn't changed, you've never felt more whole. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. See, another part of this man, though, the the invalid, the thing that we see about him is that he's lived with this mentality, like I already suggested, that the world is against him. 
So not only is he someone who's able to tell a story, when he does tell his story, what's exposed is almost this idea, this sense that he is a victim. I mean, look at the words carefully of his response. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. And when the water is stirred up, while I'm going, another, when I'm going, another steps down before me. I have no one. Someone always steps down before me. Here's this man in this posture of feeling so oppressed by life that he is, he is overcome by this fact that everything is against him, that he can't see another way, that his imagination has been so limited. And that's another quality of this person that I think is so fascinating for us to consider. Because the irony should not be lost. The gospel writer wants to make clear how ridiculous it is that Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? And what is the man doing? He is looking beyond Jesus, right? He's looking at the pool, that if it was only stirred up and if he could only get it, then he'd be healed. But it was only a chapter before this that Jesus is with the Samaritan woman talking about the symbol of water. If you were to turn there and you look at verses 13 to 14, Jesus says to the woman, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus, the one who is the living water, asks this man who wants to get into the water if he wants to be healed, and the man looks everywhere else but at the one who can speak the healing word of life. And I wonder how often that is true of us. That is true of me. Jesus asks me, do you want to be healed? And I say, sure I do. But, and I begin to look beyond Jesus, the one whose very word is healing, the one who speaks the word to the man of get up, take your bed, and walk, and he does I look beyond that to something else. And the thing I've been thinking about this week as I've been wrestling with this text is a few things. One, what are the stories that I'm living with? The stories, they're the imagination of, of healing, of what something is to look like that looks past and beyond Jesus. What do I think is the way to wholeness. And does it include the one whose very words are life? See, just like this invalid was living with a certain story of his life, we all live with certain stories about ourselves. And I'm curious if Jesus is asking you, me, us, the question of do you want to be healed? And I wonder what comes up for you. Yes, but I just can't. Yes, but if you knew. Yes, but they always. Yes, but they never. I wonder what story, what imagination of healing you're living with. And does it look beyond the living water? Does it look beyond the one whose words our life. Because it is in Jesus 
that healing is possible. I mentioned or I alluded to a third character in this text, and it's actually past what was read out loud, past verse 9. If you want, you can read with me, and it it says this, and, and now that was the Sabbath day, and starting in verse 10, so the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, well, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And now the man who'd been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. So there are these other characters, the religious leaders. The text refers to them as the Jews. And they were, they were the Jewish people, the people of Israel, but they were of a certain level, the religious leaders level of, of this people. And, and they, cannot, they couldn't imagine right, a world beyond this man who was healed. This man was just healed. And they're like, um, well, let's see, is it the Sabbath day? Okay, I think it is. Yep. All right. Lame. And I was like, and I, I was challenged by this. Like, how often do I look beyond the person of Jesus? Do I look beyond the, the incredible reality of what God is doing and the healing that's taking place and saying, well, it doesn't, eh, I don't, that doesn't look the way I was expecting. It's certainly kind of breaking some rules or it, it, the, my rules. Like, what's going on? They seem to me like people who are pretty cynical and pretty critical and pretty have this already, their imagination is limited. In fact, I'd say as a people, people of Israel, the religious leaders are themselves paralyzed. And yet, they don't know it. So when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? They can't imagine that that question is being addressed to them. That, to me, is tragic. And so you have three characters, the person of Jesus, this God who sees and knows, who is looking to give life. You have this invalid who, is, who can't do anything for himself and is asked this question and has this limited imagination of what healing would be. And then once he's healed, you have these religious leaders who, because Jesus and the way he does things doesn't fit into their box, they completely dismiss the power and work of God. And I wonder, which character am I in this story? Which character are you in the story between the invalid and the religious leaders? Which character are we? Because that's what the that's the question, or a question the text is asking. And one of the reasons it's asking that question, or one of the reasons you can see that's the question it's asking, because in John 2, when Jesus turned water into wine, and in John 4, when Jesus heals the official son, there's an explicit reference to people believing who Jesus is because of what he'd done. There is no mention of that at all in this text. Jesus works, 
And we don't even actually, it doesn't say that the man who was healed believed. The Jewish leaders, they don't believe. And so to me, why I think this is such an interesting text and a really convicting text is it's almost like this is what is true. You are one of these, almost as if the text is saying. There isn't like an exemplar of, oh, I need to be that person. It's almost like, no, you're either paralyzed and Jesus addresses the question to you, or you're a Jewish leader who can't imagine that the question is being addressed to you and that you need healing. And so where are we? That's the question before us. And I think, I think that's the question before us as a community. That's the question before us as Grace Long Beach Church, as individuals. Do you want to be healed? And as that question is asked of you, what comes to mind? What are the things that comes to mind for you? What are the ways that you see beyond Jesus? Because, my friends, Jesus is the one whose words give life. It is in Jesus that we can be told to get up, take your bed, and walk. And as I think about our community and as I think about what our community has gone through, I think Jesus is asking us that question. And I think that we are forced to reckon with how do we respond to that? And do we see Jesus as the one whose words give life? Is that who you are? Is that who we are? Because I think there's a real possibility that in our limited imaginations, we can just be imagining all these other alternatives, all of these other possibilities of healing when the answer is in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the one, or he is the one who has the words of life. He is the living water. So I kind of want to step away from the text for a minute, and I kind of want to just to talk to us, to address us, kind of where, where we are maybe in this season of life together as a, as a church and as a community. Because I think that's our question. I think that's, that's the question Jesus has begun to ask us. And I can't imagine, it's not a rhetorical question. But I can't imagine another possible answer than yes, right? I mean, of course we want to be healed. We want to be healed from the hurt and the pain and the loss that we've experienced. We want to be healed from, from all of like, the, the disorientation we felt for a very long time. And I think we can imagine so many other possibilities, other ways forward, right, than than the one that is the, the way forward, which is utter, absolute, complete, on our knees, dependence before Jesus. That's where it begins. You know, one of the things, Nancy Moore, if you don't know who Nancy Moore is, she's, uh, she was, we brought her in to kind of help us discover who we are. And I'd say we are in that season of discovery. We're literally in verse 7 of John 5, where Jesus has asked this question, 
We are coming up with potential responses, and we are waiting and hoping for verse 8. Get up, take your bed, and walk. Isn't that what we want? But in this in-between time, one of the things that Nancy Moore said is, we need to take some intentional time to heal and to process. And I think she's right, and I'd actually like to tweak it a little bit. We need to take some intentional time to be healed. Because only Jesus can heal. Only Jesus can heal the pain that we've experienced and that you know now, right now, that you're feeling. Only Jesus can heal the disorientation that we've been experiencing. Only Jesus can heal, and I don't know what your situation is, but some of you are walking, you, maybe this is your first time, or you've been here a few months, and you're like, whoa, what am I getting myself into? This place seems a little, a little intense. Um, and, and I totally understand what you're saying, and I actually think you're right. This is a really unique season. But here's what I think you're walking into. A people... people who are recovering or who are reminded afresh of their need for Jesus. That's what I think you're walking into. I think you're walking into a group of people who have been sitting on their mats for a very long time. And Jesus sees them and knows them and has asked them, do you want to be healed? There's a lot of talk, right, about our theological diversity. And we have that. And it's one of the things that's our greatest strength and probably one of our biggest threats. But here's where we're unified. And here's how we'll remain unified. Is when you recognize that you, the person next to you, me, we're all on our mats. And Jesus is asking all of us the question, do you want to be healed? And none of us, by our own strength, can get up, take our bed, and walk. So our unity is actually in our inability to save ourselves. Our unity is found precisely in the fact that we need a healer, and his name is Jesus. I've had conversations, and I think about this all the time. Man, we just need to be more honest, right? Or we just need better communication, or we just need more joy, or we just need to have more fun. No, we don't. Those are great things. What we just need is Jesus Christ. Because I promise you, I promise you, 
that if we can recognize that we are people on our mats and Jesus is the one who asks us the question, do you want to be healed? And we have no other response than yes. That together, Jesus will say to us, get up, take your bed, and walk. That transcends whatever you, like, thing you think you have to hold on to so tightly, a belief or a conviction or whatever. Because you can't give yourself life. You can't make yourself get up. I can't. Trust me. I try all the time. Jesus says, get up, take your bed, and walk. That's the one. That's the person who has the words of life. That is the living water, and that is what makes this, you, me, us, and not just here in Long Beach, but all over the place, the the whole world, people who profess Jesus Christ, that's what we're professing. We're professing that we need a healer. We need grace. We need mercy. That's how we're unified. I really want to encourage you or invite you I think that the elders and I and the staff and many of you here, I, and I know that, we're, we're entering into this, this time where we're trying to, to be dependent. And dependence isn't passivity. Like, it actually takes work. Go figure. Um, but we're attempting to ask the question, who do we want to be? Because it's so easy to want to do something. One of the recommendations that Nancy also had was you need to create a 12 to 18 month plan, and we do. Absolutely. And we need to do something. But again, I don't want to try to get up, take my bed, and walk, which I think a 12 to 18 month plan can be without Jesus being the one to tell me to do that. And so I think we are in this posture, in this position of needing to listen to the voice the healing voice of Jesus. To be dependent upon the one who is able to give us his words, to give us the living water. The one who is able to turn chaos into order. The one who is able to to make something like water into something like wine. That's who we need. And so I'm encouraging you, I'm asking you to enter into this season with us. And what does that look like? I mean, I think Eric, one of the things Eric suggested was, was a, a kind of a rethinking or a reconsidering of engaging Scripture in a way that, that sees that as, the, as God's Word to us. And perhaps there, well, not perhaps, but that is God's Word because it's there we encounter Jesus. Steve Porter offered a practice of, of, of kind of attending to God as shepherd through Psalm 23 to be praying. Another posture I would like to suggest and encourage you toward is, is to be considering this question. Do you want to be healed? And then to be honest about all the ways, all the stories you tell in response to that question which almost always include for me something other than, yeah, yes.
heal me. There's going to be a time to, I think, begin that now. So we go into worship. There are going to be people on these walls, and they want to pray with you. And you can go there for anything. Perhaps you felt prompted by by what was said this morning, by Keith's prayer, by the scripture that was read, by some of the songs we sang. Perhaps you want to go there and you say, yes, I want to be healed. And I just need, I need God. Perhaps you're somebody this morning who, who, who Jesus is asking that question to you, and you've never considered, you've never considered a life with Jesus Christ. Perhaps that's where you're at this morning. People would like to pray with you as you profess your trust in the person who gives life. As we're in the summer season, just to be really practical, I think over the next two months, this is a posture we just need to, we need to adopt, a pro- posture of prayer, of listening, being attentive to the Spirit, a process of confessing our sins to one another, confessing our sins to God, confessing our, 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 just our need to be healed. Because I think as we kind of move into a posture of dependence, letting God shape us into the people we want to be, it will become very clear when God says, get up, take your bed, and walk. And we together will follow his call. But it begins with recognizing that we're on the mat. I randomly came across this, well, not randomly, I was reading the Bible, but um, <laughs> across this, uh, this vision in Isaiah 35. And it's this vision of wholeness. It's this vision of, of, of God's restoration. It's this vision of perhaps God saying to the people of Israel, get up, take your mat, your bed, and walk. And I couldn't help but think about us I couldn't help but, but read this saying, this is what I want. This is a vision for the world. This is a vision for us. And there's a lot of imagery. And there are a lot of metaphors. They're really beautiful. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to read it slowly. Let this be the ending prayer. And listen to this, and again... When I'm done with this and when I walk down, there will be people who want to pray with you while we're singing. Take advantage of that because I think God, I know, I know God wants to meet you. Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees, Lord God. Strengthen the roses and the stringhams. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. 
Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Thanks be to God.